Dear Nandan and Rohini, it's a great pleasure to see you both, uh, especially together. And uh, on behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy, uh, thank you for making the time to speak with me. I greatly uh, appreciate it. I've thank been you. really looking forward to speaking with you both about the changing nature of strategic philanthropy in India, particularly in the context of your own philanthropic journeys uh, individually and, of course, as a team, because there will undoubtedly be extremely valuable lessons uh, and insights in this for existing and aspiring philanthropists that are watching this around the world. Nandan and Rohini Nilekani come to this discussion with a wealth of experiences and related insights. Rohini is uh, an accomplished writer and philanthropist. She's the founder and chairperson uh, of Ardiam, which funds an array of water and sanitation activities across India. From 2004 to 2014, she was the founder and chairperson of Pratham Books, a nonprofit publisher of affordable and quality children's books that publishes books in multiple in Indian languages. She's the co-founder and director of XStep, which she set up in collaboration with Nandan in 2014, I believe, as a digital infrastructure platform for early learning. And in just over five years, XStep has enabled tens of millions of children to improve their literacy and numeracy skills. Rohini has also co-chaired the Akshara Foundation, which was established by the government in partnership with civil society in 2000 to work with community organizations and NGOs to provide educational programs to children that are designed to increase school enrollment, reduce dropouts, and provide enhanced learning outcomes. Rohini was uh, previously a journalist who uh, worked uh, and appeared in many well-known uh, publications. And she's also written a number of very successful books. And in interviewing a former journalist uh, as a part-time interviewer, I'm well aware that I need to uh, lift my game. Nanda Nelikani is an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, uh, and a, of course, highly respected leader in business. He's also published two excellent books on the future of India. Uh, he's the co-founder and current non-executive chairman of Infosys, which he co-founded in 1981, and which went on to become one of the most successful IT companies in the world. Nandan also served as the founding chairman of the Unique Identification Authority of India with the rank of cabinet minister and rolled out the Aadhaar, which is the unique identification number that's been successfully uh, extended to uh, over one and a quarter billion Indian nationals so far, which is incredible. He also previously led the government of India's uh, technology committee. Nandan is also a very generous and innovative philanthropist and together Nandan and Rohini have also taken the giving pledge, which is a commitment to give away half or more than half uh, of their wealth to charitable causes during their life journeys. Rohini and Nandan, the programs and initiatives of your philanthropies are diverse, very diverse, spanning water, education, the environment, the arts, just to name a few. How did you come to be involved in so many different fields over the past 20 years? And how do you manage such a diverse portfolio of charitable activities? And this question is, of course, to both or, or either of you. So shall I go first, Nanda? Yeah. Uh, so Badar, yes, I've been in this field for almost 30 years. 
And uh, while it looks like I'm trying to do a little bit in so many areas, I think what holds my entire philanthropy portfolio together is one simple idea, which I hope is also a powerful one. And that is that in the continuation of society, state and markets, my entire focus is on strengthening society or as we call it here, Samaj. Because I truly believe that markets and the state have to be responsive to society and to make the state and market accountable to the largest public interest, we need very strong leadership and institutions of society to make that happen and to collect and coordinate ordinary people's efforts so that they become and remain part of the solution than rather just become victims of the problem itself. So whether I'm working in environment, in water, in education, in the arts and culture, it's all about finding institutions, individuals and ideas that strengthen samaj or society. So that's the very common thread and the rest of it is just based on my passion and opportunities for many different things. Uh uh, by the way, my, my philanthropy is a little more, uh, I stick to a couple of things. One is, of course, education, and uh, step is the biggest of that. I also support many institutions. Uh, I've been co-founder of an institution called the Indian Institute of Human Settlements, which is trying to set up a university for sustainable urbanization in India. Uh, I've founded and supported EGAO Foundation, which is building a tech platform for uh, Indian cities so that they can use technology to move forward. Uh, I'm also the president of NCAR, which is India's preeminent uh, economic think tank, which I've also funded quite a bit. So I tend to focus on education and where tech is a multiplier effect. Uh, these are my focus areas. And are there any common or universal principles that you seek to apply in your philanthropic efforts uh, across all of these different areas? Are there some uh, golden rules that underpin your personal approach to philanthropy and the way in which you invest philanthropic capital and perhaps even track impact over time? Yes, I think uh, we do look for uh, strategic uh, outcomes uh, for us. Uh, getting impact at scale is very important. So many of the things we do, we look at impact at both scale and speed. Uh, at the same time, uh, diversity is important because one solution uh, does not fit all. And we are also uh, big into collaborative philanthropy. Uh, so we work with groups like Co-Impact where we fund things along with other philanthropists. But Rohini can add more. So I would like to ask about collaborative, if I may, Rohini, through initiatives such as the Akshara Foundation, you've been very successful at collaborating with different stakeholders across government, the community, uh, and other NGOs. Uh, and, and of course, Nandan, you've been deeply involved in business and government and of course, philanthropy during your career. For the aspiring philanthropists that are watching this, especially from the so-called emerging markets, where uh, in some cases, formal collaborative mechanisms are undeveloped. What have you found to be the keys to creating successful collaborations between business, government, and the social sector within India, but also internationally, as you mentioned, you know, opportunities like the co-impact? Right. Um, so right, right from the beginning, of course, it is patently obvious to all of us 
that you cannot solve issues in silos. There's just no question of it. And as Nandan said, if you're interested in having impact at the scale of the problem, right? Not just in, in, in a much smaller way, then you have to work with Samaj Bazaar Sarkar state uh, society and market. So it was obvious that we needed to. And there are some areas, Badar, which are frankly morally undeniable, such as education, in which, unlike, say, human rights or something very much more political. So starting in, in, in uh, issues that are common to everybody's welfare, it's kind of easy to draw in the state because it is their mandate to provide basic services. And uh, we have found governments have been pretty open uh, to coming in as partners and helping them reach what I call the first mile, uh, not, which is not really the last mile, but the first mile, which governments find hard to reach. So from the beginning, we have found it relatively easy. Of course, there are setbacks, but you find the champions inside government. You very clearly articulate the common goals. You communicate around those. And it's kind of easy in markets too. In India, markets by law, have to, once they have profits, to share it back with society uh, through our corporate uh, social responsibility laws. So they are very eager to participate. But very quickly, and then I'll leave it to Nandan, all this work that we have done for so many decades now together uh, has led us to come up with a slightly more structured way of reducing the friction to collaborate between state markets and society. And we call it societal platform thinking, which has some very fundamental values such as we, how can we be technology enabled because you do need technology to create scale at speed as Nandan says, but not be technology led, to be people led, to be problem led and to create therefore a unified but not uniform solution so that multiple people can engage in their own context to solve their own problems. This is something we hold very dear. And then you find that when you do that, the government can come in, markets can come in, civil society can thrive, and individuals can also find a way to build back agency. That's what you're trying to achieve. Nandan? Yeah, no, I think uh, some of the philosophies that underpin both our work is how do we increase access to services like what Roni is doing in water? How do we increase access to opportunity like education? Because we think that particularly those of us who live in uh, countries like India, where there's still a large number of people who are not able to participate formally in the economy due to lack of education or lack of access, how do we bring them into the fold and give them a sort of way to improve their lives. So a lot of our work is sort of, those are the underpinnings of that are in that work. India, uh, like most parts of the world uh, has been severely impacted by the ramifications of uh, COVID-19. What long-term consequences do you think that the pandemic will have, uh, not just in India, but also around the world on the social sector? Do you think that it might change the way that people and even governments think of the role of private philanthropy in responding to complex challenges and perhaps the ways that philanthropists seek to affect change in their communities? Well, let me start by saying that uh, definitely this has been a big blow in terms of pushing people back into poverty. And we think many of the gains of the last few years are actually getting unwound as people are with lack of jobs, lack of income are getting pushed back. So I think 
what it tells us is that if we really want to achieve our SDG goals by 2030, we, we have to work even harder, even faster, even more at scale to make up for the what it has meant in terms of progress. At the same time, I think the very nature of this impact, the magnitude has made everybody much more receptive and flexible to new ideas and innovations. Uh, and uh, Roni will talk about maybe about Diksha and how thanks to the, in some sense, because of the pandemic, there's been an acceleration of adoption of many of the work that you have done. So that is something which I think is happening now. Uh, yeah, no, Nandan is quite right. It's been devastating the impact and it will unfold as in time to come. Uh, especially in India, it's pretty heartbreaking because so many people have just lifted themselves out of poverty in a stable way, right? And it's brought back uh, old memories. Um, but uh, you asked about the role of philanthropy and I think that's going to get a big boost because we do need private philanthropy to try out a lot more things now and undertake, a, you know, underwrite a lot of risk so that the next time and there will be a next time, whether it's climate change related stuff, another pandemic, we are much better prepared. So who else can invest in some of these, you know, look at what happened in the last nine months, figure out what worked where in the world, do rapid studies, do some scoping then support institutions who will be able to come together for a rapid response next time around. So the role of, uh, because government is too busy right now to do this. Private philanthropy has the space, the time, and the resources to do it. So that's one thing in terms of, um, in terms of COVID and philanthropy. But it, what we have also seen, because you asked what is the long-term impact on society is uh, twofold. One is that we must remember, this has again brought to the front that we have to keep focusing on society and communities. That's what I feel. Who are the first responders all over the world? It was citizens groups. It was people who knew the people in the neighborhood. Government came, health workers came, but the first responders were civil institutions and strengthening those and building networks of trust well in advance. I think that is a big thing that to me has come out of this COVID-19 um, pandemic. Uh, we have seen, uh, to Nandan's delight also, the rise of acceptance of digital technology. And at Xstep, we are quite taken aback. Uh, luckily, the government had already asked us to help with setting up a national infrastructure to train teachers, to create content, and also allow students to come online um, to get a lot of learning resources. And the kind of rapid uptake we saw in the last few months has staggered our own teams as well. We have tried our best to also watch out for those on the other side of the digital divide. And a lot of innovations have flourished there as well. So this uptake of digital, this mm -hmm. knowledge that citizens groups are the first responders, and the ability of philanthropy to take new risks with a new imagination so that we are better prepared next time seem to be the fallouts of this uh, pandemic. Now, I have to say I agree in terms of uh, trust, uh, not just within the sector, but between other sectors. I've noticed that as well. I mean, in taking the Middle East, for example, there has, um, unfortunately, uh, in the last sort of half century or so, uh, almost developed a bit of um, mistrust or even skepticism or suspicion at times about uh, civil society and the social sector in general, uh, partly for socio-political reasons. And in some cases, it might be seen as upstaging the government. So that's why there's, there's uh, an uneasy um, 
you know, cooperation between uh, those sectors. But in, in the wake of uh, the pandemic, uh, I've seen much more deliberate engagement, which is uh, perhaps a silver lining. And we, we take whatever silver lining we can get, I guess, uh, in this pandemic. But I have a question for you. Um, COVID aside, uh, are you witnessing a growth in philanthropic uh, activity in the emerging markets and especially in India? And what are some of the most distinctive uh, characteristics of philanthropy in India that uh, people should perhaps be aware of? Nandan, go ahead. No, I think you know that topic better. Okay, so yeah, over the last few years, there's been a tremendously increasing uh, uh, awareness and interest in philanthropy. Uh, all the wealthy people of India have come to the conclusion that we have to give forward and that there are many, many opportunities now, structured opportunities to do so. So whether it is through the India Philanthropy Initiative, whether it is through the many business bodies in India, there have, and just informal networks that we have been able to uh, work together with, there is a certain acceleration of the intent to cooperate among the Indian philanthropists, and I find that very heartening. We've had several conversations, several meetings on that. I've been lucky enough to also see a flourishing of international cooperation. We are all together in the giving pledge circles, and many more people from the South are joining there, which is very, very hopeful. And also looking eastwards from India, the uh, Asia philanthropists have come together in several fora, and we have been exchanging a lot of information. There's some more cultural similarities here. So coming to understand a new way how Asia can come together, I find that very exciting, actually. And of course, the Western philanthropists have also been part of those discussions. So I think something is happening. When I add to that the global collaborative platforms like CoImpact and others, um, I think we may be at some very interesting new point. And but this is not the time to sit back and say, great, this is the time to push forward and not let the momentum break. Absolutely agree. And I think the broader opportunity, and I, you know, I'm witnessing this also even in my part of the world and parts of the Middle East and North Africa, where it feels like you're on a cusp of a much more um, institutionalized and disciplined approach to philanthropy and experimenting with collaboration, which is great. And, and that's really why, which goes to the heart of why the Center at Cambridge, Center for Strategic Philanthropy, was established. It's exactly to try, as you say, to, to to, to grasp this opportunity and help to try and accelerate that, uh, that change. Um, I just have a final question, if I may, because you've both uh, really been at the forefront of uh, technological shifts. You've, 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 you've integrated technology with great impact into a number of your philanthropic initiatives. Uh, and I'm interested in your views on how technology has changed the nature of philanthropy in the time that you've been involved uh, in the sector. And also, what do you think might be the next big technological disruption to impact the social sector? And what should philanthropists be doing to prepare for that and perhaps try and anticipate that? Well, I think uh, uh, the role of technology in philanthropy has uh, gained a lot of importance uh, in these COVID times because everything has got digitized, including the way we deliver things to people. And uh, uh, we believe that uh, it enables scale if you really want to solve the problems of a billion people, you need technology underpinnings to reach everyone. Uh, it enables speed because we are uh, time is of their sense, especially because we have lost time because of uh, COVID. It enables you to have a common platform. At the same time, 
deal with the diverse changes that are required uh, across the world. So I think uh, uh, the role of technology is very, very important. And generally, I find more and more philanthropists now are realizing this and are applying it in their philanthropy. And uh, also, I think when I look forward, I think uh, a lot of work is happening on AI. And AI can actually be used, for example, if you want to deliver better education, you can use AI to figure out what the children are learning or what they're not learning and how it can be fixed. You can use AI to deliver better healthcare to a billion people by reducing the you know, ability, uh, improving the ability to diagnose. So I think a lot of AI will come in into philanthropy or, or it'll come into societal platform solving, which in turn will be funded by philanthropy. Yeah, uh, so Badar, my answer to that is, first of all, I'm by no means a techie, but thanks uh, to working with Nandan for the last few years, I've understood how uh, using technology appropriately, and that's a very big word, uh, we can actually amplify our power, good intent, right? So because uh, there's no point in not acknowledging all the dangers that come from technology. So uh, how you do it, ha taking the power of your intent and building a grammar around that intent through good technologies is a very important thing. And for that, I think philanthropists need to now start thinking about how they will uh, support civil society with more technology tools to be able to participate fully in the digital age. Civil society institutions, especially in India and some in the, around the world, have been a little technophobic, thinking that technology and power get woven too intricately against the interests of the masses. But I feel it is a very important thing for them to enter participate fully in the digital age and democratize the digital age so that whatever problems we have to solve about technology can be solved together, but not by shunning technology, by accepting the digital age and improving the way technology serves society. So for philanthropy, it's a very important thing to understand how to support civil society institutions to be technology enabled, but not technology led. And some investments are required in this. So it's a super opportunity because me, the non-techie is converting to say, good technologies will amplify good intent and we have to use them. Be beautifully said. Rohini and Nandan, you are both uh, an inspiration, uh, certainly to me and undoubtedly to so many uh, who are at the start of their philanthropic journeys, uh, seeking optimal ways really to engage and deploy capital to help address uh, the numerous challenges that our communities around the world face. Uh, it's always great to hear from you directly on, on what motivates you to do the amazing work that uh, you continue to do. And I very much look forward to uh, doing so again and speaking to you again in the hopefully not too distant future and perhaps with a bit of luck in person. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you, Barbara. Likewise, we are very inspired by your work as well. Thank you for what you do and all the best for the center. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. All you the so very much. best, Barbara.